we were obviously having a chat about big entrepreneurs and kind of cool stories off the back and that's why we've got you here. Can you give a little summary for people that don't know Boxraw or don't know you? Yeah, so we founded Boxraw in 2017. Um, the vision is to be the reason why the world got into boxing um, and really try and shift that narrative away from boxing being viewed as a, you know, like an elite sport that only someone can partake in. Um, it was very much premised around the journey of boxing, which I think up to that point hadn't really been talked about. You know, all the brands that came before us just focused on the end result of boxing, which was the boots, gloves, shorts and then the you know glamorization of fight night but actually having grown up in a boxing gym you know from mm. the age of 12 i knew that boxing was so much more than just the end result you know it was very much around the whole mindset and lifestyle around mm. it um so yeah the vision was to try and bring more people into the sport of boxing naturally we have to start with apparel the vision is much bigger than just the apparel business you know and equipment so we've got technology um company in um we're working on the side on at the moment been working on that for about three years now and what sort of technology i can't speak too much to it it's okay. it, very very long story short it uses ai technology and computer vision to track skeletal positional data of boxes and then Whoa, uses that okay. to inform insights and analytics for boxers, coaches, awesome. and basically the whole boxing ecosystem and when are you planning to launch yeah. that um it's at mvp stage at the moment okay. yeah um launch i think the product roadmap because there's so many products within the product, right. um, it's not just like one piece of software once it's done. So we've got like a seven-year product roadmap, you know. So we, the features that we're going to be able to go to market by the end of next year, I'd imagine. Okay. Um, but it's been very progressive after that point. Yeah. Know? So, okay. Um, BSA three years, three years in the making. And from what I understand, Box Raw was recently the boxing wear that was used in Creed Three. Yes. Which is mm-hmm. sick. Creed Let's Three. Just Creed call Three. It what it is. Creed Three and Three and Creed Two actually. Re- Creed Two as well. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Creed Two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how did that come about? Um, the goal when I launched the company in 2017 was always to get it into Creed. Um, was it? You know, ha- having okay. grown up watching Rocky. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, we need to get Box Raw in there because right now he was wearing. In the Creed one, he was wearing Jordan, you know, Nike. Um, and it was just simple, you know, I went on to IMBD. I mean, the thing is, when you're starting out, right, you don't have any resources or contacts. So you just have to think, and, you know, I'm a hustler by background, so I'll find a way to get shit done. Mm. Um, so I went on to IMBD, found out who the costume designer was, reached out to her on Facebook, um, spent about six months speaking to her, you know, we became very friendly, and she's a great friend now, Antoinette. Um, and then news came out they were filming for Creed 2. So I was like, okay, let me reach out to her now. Said, or any chance of featuring Box Raw um, in Creed? And she was like, Oh, I'm not working on the new one. I'm like, Fuck. You know, I spent six months trying this That's, angle yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're not working on it. Um, but she then very kindly gave, made an introduction to a product sourcing company out in LA who put brands into movies. And she said, Look, I'll make an introduction, but they might charge you. I was like, Well, I ain't got any cash, but okay, I'll take the introduction. Spoke to them, we became friends, um, Kat and Adam Stone. And they were like, Look, Michael B. Jordan sponsored by Nike. So while we can't force him to wear it, we can at least get on an extra. And for me, that was gold complete. I was I was mm. happy with that. Yeah. So we sat on line list. They played it for place a load of orders for products, delivered it. And then around two weeks later, it was a Thursday night, I remember at this point, because we hadn't been doing much business at all in America. So American was ringing me about 11 o'clock. Pick up the phone. I won't try and do an American accent. He's like, I'm on set with Michael B. Jordan. He loves the track suits. Um, that's some of the extras wearing. Do you reckon you can send two sets for him um, for Saturday I was like and they were like you, but we can't pay for shipping you know and in, in, inside I'm like why is it fucking sick yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll well, make it happen that's yeah. fine I'll oh, make yeah. it happen yeah, I, I saw the postaging <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. packaging <laughs> yeah on the phone I'm like uh, don't worry I'll, I'll, I'll allow the packaging cost in this, on this instance right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. at that point I'm still like to the outside world Box was still a very big company you know because we had a lot of, we had a large Instagram following from the from the get go of launch right. you know we launched 20,000 and it grew very quickly um, within the community we'll touch on yeah, yeah. I was going to say we'll touch on that later yeah and so yeah that's agreed to send it over sent it off um and then i was in liberia on a mission trip with our charity boxing is love and the trailer comes out 
and then he's wearing two of the tracksuits in the fucking trailer. Oh, no way. Um, I was like, wow. And I had no gauge. I had no idea about who was going to wear what. And yeah. the movie came out and he wore it, wore it, wore that in Creed 2. And then when, and by, at this point, I hadn't got any direct communications with him or the team. Um, and then in 2019, I want to say, or 2020, news came out that they were filming for Creed 3. I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for us. And now we're in a different situation because one, our product offerings expanded completely. And you know, Michael likes it. I know, well, this is an interesting thing, right? So a few months before that, the Daily Mail were posting photos of him wearing box raw, um, saying Michael be drawn training in this hoodie or training in this sauna suit. They're never tagging us, Daily Mail. Okay, like, right. You can very clearly fucking see box raw. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, just yeah, say yeah. he's wearing this thing. And then we're like, okay, where's he got that from? And obviously we checked the database, found out he's a customer. And um, I then went to literally every single person in his network that I could think of and started to try and build relationships. Um, and then when the opportunity came to speak to him, um, a half an hour uh, phone call turned into like an hour and a half and we just we just hit it off um, instantaneously awesome. he loved the vision loved yeah. the clothing and he loved the equipment you know at this stage they had a deal with another glove company um, and I was aware of that but I was also aware of a lot of tension between that you know because I know that the and to be careful what I say here but I know the owner of that company you know pissed a lot of people off basically right. um, so I got it in there explained the innovations and you know he loved what he saw you know the reality was, was what I was showing him a glove that had been developed over four years but it still wasn't final and I knew it felt shit inside, you know. But then he was like, "Right, we'll do it all. We'll take the gloves, we'll take the boots, we'll take the head guards, the groin guards, and you've got three months to deliver." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no problem. Put the phone down. Called up Ella, our product engineer. I was like, right, we've got three months.'" She was like, "How are we gonna do that?" I was like, "I got no fucking idea, but we need to get it done." And then we had to move production from China over to England because it was taking too long in China. Right. Yeah. Okay. We essentially moved into the factory, um, the same factory to do Bentley Motors interiors things like that wow um and i literally lived in that factory for about three months trying to get all these products made you know i'm talking about the equipment yeah of course um and they placed in a they placed an order for about 215 products um so a hell of a lot of products you know mm. and it, listen it was a stressful it was a very stressful period um yeah my, my health took a turn for the worst you know, during that period i got diagnosed with meniere's disease um mm. which is which was fine now you know it, it was actually a big wake-up call you know but, what is meniere's disease so but i get i used to get random attacks of vertigo Right. Um, so I could just be sitting there and suddenly the room will start spinning and then it got to a point where it was happening five times in a day it happened once when I was driving then it crashed oh my God. and I was like right okay I need to put my foot down and get it fixed um, and they basically said look there's no cure the cure is less salt food preservatives um, more sleep less stress do meditation and no coffee did all that instantaneously and then and no coffee no coffee yeah, yeah. and then instantaneously it, yeah, it fixed okay. fixed itself and it hasn't come back since um, so there was a lot of learnings from it but yeah we delivered all the products in time Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it was great for exposure. Great for I was going to say, what, what kind of thing like when you when you do something like that, like a you know one of the biggest movies of the year, one of the biggest action stars in the world, where's your brand? What's the? Can you track the conversions? You can't track them directly, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, was it like you know the day after Creed three comes out, you know sales skyrocket, or is it over a month? You notice the gradual like, how does that look? Yeah, it, it was a bit of an anticlimax to be honest with you. Um, I had these grand visions, you know, because I, I do a lot of research into other companies and understanding how they blew, you know, and Under Armour is a great example where um, I think it was any given the Sunday where their products were first put out and the world saw for the first time, you know, this apparel which was stuck to your skin and, and their sales, you know, 10, 10x, you know, in the course of a year. Um, so in my head, I was like, oh, this is going to happen to us now, you know, because we were featured on the movie poster, everything. Okay. Wow. Um, and, you know, everyone was saying, oh, shit, I've seen Boxer Gloves now. Um, the collect we had a collection with Creed, so the official Creed collaboration that sold out instantly. You know right, so that right. did great. The general there was an uplift in traffic. You know general uplift in sales, but nothing so sustaining. You know whereby it's like okay, that's made all the difference to us. Yeah. I think more than anything, it's the brand perception and um, 
maybe just a thing to hang your hat on really mm-hmm. you know and i think more so just just a life goal you know i really wanted to yeah, get yeah, yeah. i really wanted to get on the movie poster really wanted our gloves to be featured in the movie and, and the boots you know and that all happened so you've been boxing how does it actually come about to be like i want to make boxing gear it came off the back of another business I had, which was a mobile phone app. It was essentially, I had a mobile f- phone app called Effigo, which was on the App Store. Effigo. Effigo, yeah. And it was uh, essentially Instagram stories and Snapchat stories before they came out. Okay. Um, within the first three days of launch, we hit the top 10 US social networks. Um, by day five, we dropped down to top 60. And the two co-founders I was working with said, look, we don't think this is going anywhere. We're going to go back to our jobs respectively in Paris and New York. One was working in investment bank and engineering, tech engineering. You know, the other one was working in private equity. Um, and it really broke my heart because I spent, you know, two years building it with them. They moved in with me at my dad's house for mm. six months before launch. Um, and I put everything into it. Mm. Um, and then giving me that news really, it threw me almost to rock bottom. You know, I spent so much time and energy talking about this app and getting people on board with it on beta modes and so on. Um, How old were you at this point? I was, would have been a 24. 25, 25, something around 32 now. Um, yeah, I'm like 20, 24, 25. Um, yeah, five days in just to have that taken away from you. It was just, it was the worst feeling in the world because it wasn't a situation I can control. Mm. You know, I can't force someone to work with me. I can't force someone to carry on this idea or the vision and keep it alive. Mm. Yeah, it's were, tricky. I was very much at the disposal of them. You know, and that for me was like a big wake up call, first of all, to not have a company that, or not be in a position whereby my success was predicated on somebody else's involvement or their point of view. So I said, right, okay, I'm not doing anything with anyone else again. And it, it was strange because every business before that was always on my own, you know, from car sales businesses to import, export, you know, with the car sales business, I hired my brother, you know, he worked with me on that um, as an exception. But yeah, with the app, it was it was three, three of us, three ways, all of us were equal parties and, you know, equal ideas and so on. Yeah. And I realized now that's, that's not me. That's not, that's not how I'm built. So with, with, by the way, just to cut in there, were the businesses before like the car sales and import export, were they successes or failures? Um, many successes, many failures. Yeah. Probably more failures than successes. The car sales was successful. And actually that's what I used to, um, fund the app. F- well, I fund the app and then also fund box draw. Right, so we've taken yeah. no investment, you know, and that was all off the back of, uh, yeah, the car sales business. You know, I've nice. been working as a mechanic for my dad from the age of 12. Okay. And then right. even at university, I was fixing cars. And then post-university, I started the car sales business. And I did about 1.2 million sales at the age of 22. Wow. wow. Okay, wow. That was like, yeah. And is that just you buying cars at auction and flipping them on, on yeah, country? Yeah, to a them? degree. My speciality was what, I can't remember the name for it now, but back then it was called Cat D and Cat C cars. So oh, yeah, it was yeah. accident damage cars. So I'd buy cars that had been in accidents, fix them, then repair them. Then I got to a point whereby there'd been a huge influx of um, Afghani and Kurdish uh, mechanics into Coventry, and they were also caught onto the same thing. But right. what they weren't able to do was sell. So I had the, the best business model to this date, whereby they would buy the cars, repair them, and then I'd basically sell them for them. So they'd give it to me at basically dirt price, yeah, you know, yeah. real, real cheap, and I'd add a thousand pounds, fifteen hundred pounds margin onto it. And then, yeah, I wouldn't have to pay for it up front. And then I'd pay them once the car sold. Wow. So it was a great model and I just churned cars. So you, you did the app, that kind of, you know, went south. Yeah, and it was off the back of that. It was the same, it was a week after. So this was on the Friday where it happened. I think it must have been the next Wednesday. And I was running down the street. Um, I was training for a fight at the time. Um, and I was wearing this Adidas tracksuit. And I remember just feeling that I wanted people to know I was training for a fight, right? I wasn't thinking about business whatsoever. I was like, I'd love for people to know that I'm a boxer. And as I was thinking, as I was running, I was like, Wait, there isn't really a rep- brand that represents boxing. You know, as I said at the very start, the brands that came before us, they were just focusing on gloves, boots, shorts. No one really concentrated on like the apparel side of it. Um, and that was my way in. I was like, actually, this this could be something. And it was literally instantaneously, like off the back of that. I remember I spoke to a friend from university the following Friday after the app had basically gone down. Mm. Um, 
saying, oh, no, I'm working on this new company now. It's called Box Raw. Um, I already had the name because it was actually the name of another company I had that was doing uh, boxing promotions and white collar events for charity. So I was like, we can use that name. She's like, oh, you're just changing business all the time. And I was like, yeah, yeah this is going to work, you know. So, so every business I've done, I've gone with the intention it's going to be a success. Yeah. Um, so even to say, you know, what's the, what was the failures, what the successes, they're all successes in their own right because the, the amount of learnings I've took yeah. from them. Financially, only a few of them were, you know, yeah, yeah. did all right. The majority of them flopped. But With those businesses, I mean, I, the ones you obviously before Boxroll, how did you know it was the right time to move on from that business? Oh, but the app had no choice, right? Of course, the app you had no choice. Two co-founders yeah. gave up. Um, but the car sales business was still running at the same time. Now, with the car sales business, that was always making a lot of cash. But very quickly, I realized that this is, it wasn't something that made me happy. You know, it was, it's a lot of, it's, and it's not it's the hours that I'm complaining about, but it's just, it, it brings out a carriage in you, which isn't really me. Um, in the sense of you're having to try and sell something like people would come sometimes to buy a people carrier and I'm selling them a hatchback right. and I know that, that, that re- deep down they, sh- they should be taking a people carrier I don't mm. have a people carrier though so I'm going to sell you the hatchback yeah um, yeah and it's, you really start to question your morals and whatnot and then I think also just the stress like you know it's, mm. it's selling accident damaged cars you actually attract a lot of trouble because you get fake ballers that come because they're buying a BMW or Jaguar or Range Rover from me because they're saving £15,000 off the retail price because it's yeah, been yeah. an accident um, so you track that sort of um, those sorts of people and I just realised that this isn't this isn't me you know and fundamentally I'm still always just a car salesman yeah yeah um, and I think what really opened my eyes to like the bigger picture of the world was the app because I remember Leo the co-founder and he's he, it's funny actually he's, he's, he's co-founded a um, company recently which is like boxing tech okay um but yeah, he came to, he called me up one day. I was, I remember so specifically, I was repairing um, brake discs on a car. He calls me, says, Ben, you want to keep trying to sell cars for the rest of your life and change your oil? Or do you want to really try and do something that could change the world? And I was like, Phew! that had just hit me. And I think that was like that, that time where I was like, shit, the world's much bigger than just doing cars. Um, and there's many other things as well that really opened my eyes up and, and so on. And I was, you know, I got in trouble with the police, you know, not long before that. Um, and I remember I was in the south of France on bail, you know, thinking I was going to jail for seven years. And we can, we can go into that. I was going to say, yeah. Um, and I just saw a different side of life. I met a lot of different mm. business people that showed me that, you know, life's much bigger than, you know, the car sales company, which ultimately was capped at about, I don't know, 10 million revenue yeah. a year. Like there's only so much I can make from selling yeah. cars. Mm. Um, and, and many wasn't necessarily the goal, but just the idea and notion of seeing that shit, the world's much bigger than just Coventry. You know, up to that point, I hadn't done a lot of traveling, you know. Um, and I had got to a point whereby the business had got to a certain state of notoriety and, you know, became recognized, you know, within the Coventry space. And mm-hmm. for a short period of time, that feels good. But then again, you, you explore in the world. And, you know, I was in I was in Cannes, in the most expensive ho- hotel in the south of France. And you start to realize... There's, there's a whole a, world out there. There's a lot more out there, you know, mm. and like when you speak to people, you realize actually their motivations and it was quite inspiring for me, but that was like a real big pivotal moment, you know. What was the, the troubles with the law? It was, it's, it's quite a lot. I'll try and dumb down the story because it's quite a long story, but long story short, um, I got stitched up by some friends for a crime I didn't do and I got done for perverting the course of public justice. Um, it was essentially, I was passing notes between someone who was in prison to someone who wasn't in prison who wasn't meant to be speaking. And I didn't realize that was a crime. You know, it was basically two friends that were in a relationship. They got into a domestic, not physical, but because of his previous crimes, he was not allowed out of there. So he was stuck in jail and bail for nine months because his bail wasn't um, allowed. Um, and he'd give me a note to give to her. She'd give me a note to give to him. Um, and I was doing that, not realizing that's a crime. And then she got caught. She got scared, said, oh, Ben's been forcing me to do it. So they first did me for witness intimidation. That went on for about a month and then they realized he had nothing on witness intimidation because she'd been texting me and yeah, so on yeah, and saying, yeah, look, yeah, can yeah. you give him this note? But then because I was quite cocky with the police, um, I think they tried to take it one step further and then they got the Crown Prosecution to raise it to perverting the course of public justice, which means you're essentially stopping the law from being a law. 
so all that money I've made in the car sales business now going into barrister fees. Oh my God. You know, um, wow, yeah. basically just to try and keep me out of jail. And they they even said to me, look, Ben, you, you're going to jail for seven years. Um, the minimum sentence is three years. We're going to try and get it down from seven closer to three, but you're done, basically. And that nine-month period, I was working on the mobile phone app at the same time. <clears> this <throat> is when I flew to the south of France thinking, I'm, I'm done, I'm, let me blow all this cash. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I was hit with a second chance of life in that one of the witnesses moved to Australia, so I wasn't able to take the stand. So the Crown Prosecution dropped it because didn't have enough evidence. Wow. Um, I remember I just dropped down on my knees and in tears in the court and then the judge was shouting at me saying, stand up. And he's shouting at Crown Prosecution saying, no, it's an outrage to the court. You get on a video link, you know, um, such a waste of time and money. And I'm just like, no, shut up, man. Just let me get the yeah. fuck out of here. And yeah, the Crown yeah. Prosecution were like, no, we're dropping it. And that was it. I had the second chance at life and, you know, I turned my back on a lot of friends that stitched me up and yeah, weren't there for me during that time and again I was working on the mobile phone up at that time and that was like right I'm focused now so you go through that period uh and you know you, you, you come out the other side of it you're running you realize there's no boxing apparel and you're thinking okay that could be good so how do you physically get started with boxer or how do you make it a reality yeah so I after the car sale also after the app I was still working the car sales business my brother had been running at that point for me and bringing all the cash in and you know reselling it uh, using it to fund the app um so i went back into working the car sales business and i suppose every morning you know i'd wake up about four o'clock and i'd be working you know i'd be on shopify reading all the blogs on youtube just trying to consume knowledge um i was quite naive in the sense of i thought it would take me three months to launch so i had a lot of experience at alibaba at this point yeah. so at the age of 15 i got into alibaba in fact i'm the youngest bronze buyer in alibaba history so i was really? buying um up to ten thousand units a year um, at the age of 15, 16, so from USB sticks, MP4 players, oh, wow, okay. blenders, microwaves. Um, so, what were you selling them, eBay? Yeah, what were you selling them? So I sell them through eBay. At that time, when you're 15, 16, um, pawn shops were a big thing and also independent electrical stores were a big thing. There wasn't, like now, you go to Curry's to get your electronics or you go online to Amazon. Back then, you're happy going to like an independent shop. So it was easy for me to, I'd literally, I'd call up, pretend to sound like an adult, be like, my son's going to drop off some, you know, microwaves or blenders and so on and i just rock up the boxes and yeah i'd sell them um you've i feel like you've had the like the entrepreneur gene in you from a yeah. very young age and you've been doing this for a lot longer than just box raw oh yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah so it's all i know which is why you know I'm, I'm i'm fortunate now where i get to merge two passions which you know a genuine passion of mine is business but you know money's not the goal the goal is just business you know i like I like being able to create, innovate, and put things out to the world that haven't been done before, or being able to try and serve a need. And obviously, with boxing, there's so many reasons why I love the sport, you know. Mm. So I'm very fortunate now. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old, you know. It was um, without even knowing it. So my mum used to give us uh, 50 pence emergency bus fare to get the bus when it was raining. Otherwise, we'd walk to and from home, you know, to school. Um, and always before school and after school, friends would be at the news agents buying sweets, chocolates, crisps, drinks. Yeah, I could never do that. And it was, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder from that. Me too. Um, and it, I suppose one day I'd use that money in the 50 pence thinking she's not going to notice it. Bought the sweets and chocolates. Um, literally the same day, man. My mum was like a hawk. She would have checked my backpack and saw the money wasn't in there. Um, hits me over the back of the head, said, look, we can't afford that. You're going to use that in an emergency. And... I don't know what it was, but just instinctively the next day, I was just walking to school again with the 50 pence in my backpack, going to the news agent with my friends. And I noticed that, do you remember the sherbet sticks? Yes. That two pence. Um, they were, obviously, usually the box is full. This time I was missing, like, I don't know, 40, 50. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. That's a popular item. Yeah, a popular item. So I bought 25 of them. And then I sold them in class in registration for 10 pence. And I naturally now I've got the 50 pence to share my mom and I've suddenly got this profit to buy the sweets and chocolates and crisps and candy and you know whatever um I was like this is easy man so I just kept doing it on a daily basis you know and everything from sweets 
chocolates, cigarettes. Got to the point where I was going into town into a place called Home Bargains. I'd buy like J2O bottles, sell them at school. Um, you know, and it was I was making good money from it. But that idea just like materialized over time. Mm. I was like, okay, this idea of buying something, selling it for more, it works. It's a little bit harder now because there's so much transparency in the market and yeah. you know information is so dispersed that th- that model isn't as you know easy to do now. But all the shit you see now of ads saying like do this dropshipping company and Amazon I've been doing that since back in the day man were your parents encouraging or encouraging of this yeah my dad my dad in particular like my my relationship with my dad you know at a young age was very transactional to a degree in the sense of he was in he, he was a mechanic had his own business um and it wasn't it was very much, he just wanted to know how much I made each week. So when I saw him at the weekends, how much we made, you know, when I was with his friends, it's Ben, tell me how much you made this week. You know, and that was like, for me, that was the thing I was just aiming for each week. Let me see how much more I can make. So, cause I like it when he asks me yeah, and I can yeah. tell him how much I've that's made. So cute. Um, and then, yeah, it just got to a point where that just again continued on. I think that's the, probably the part of the reason I am the way I am. Like nothing was ever good enough. Even when it came to grades, you know, it's like mm. that I got all A's, you know, was the top of the class though. That's all he cared about. He just wanted you to be the best. Um, it wasn't. It didn't matter that you did good comparatively to others, My or you know. Say. It was just like yeah. you need to be the best. Um, without saying those words, it was mm-hmm. like unless unless he got clarification that that was the best that anyone could have got, or that's the most that I, I could yeah. have made. It was never good enough, and it wasn't in so much of a, like a depressing way, but it's just like that became the expectation. Um, and yeah, mum was aware. Of it. I mean, they had to be right because I, I had so much product you know from clothing to yeah. you know, random white coated appliances yeah. I think you're saying because I had so much money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boys pockets was fat mumsy had to know you know I was breaking off a little piece for her so okay um, what I was going to say is so you got started with Box Raw I think what a lot of people are always curious about with, with apparel companies is what's the, I guess the minimum you can start with and how do you go about getting it made because I think, you know, now you have print on demand, you can have t-shirts where you can just get a logo or a design imprinted and it's done. But actually designing a custom piece of clothing isn't yeah. the same as just printing a logo on a t-shirt. How do you go about doing that? So, That's the thing, sorry, in, in addition to that as well, like how you actually start building a brand mm-hmm. alongside that how you yeah. actually come up with formulating a brand and actually putting that into the market because yeah. that's so, the difference maker. So I think the, the first part of it with a brand before you even get into the, any of the clothing is if you first need to establish what the brand stands for. And in this day and age where there's just so much saturation on people's yeah. news feeds of like new brands that are yeah. starting up, they all, it's all the same shit. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah, a new yeah, design. Yeah. It's like they change the font, change the colors. Like um, the brands, I mean, you look through history at the brands that have really made it, right? They all start off with a niche sport, first of all. I'm, I'm excluding fashion brands and luxury fashion houses here. Okay. I'm talking about sportswear brands. You don't just set out in the market. Well, they haven't just set out in the market to be the all-encompassing sports brand, you know? When Nike started out, they were just focused on apparel. Uh, so sorry, they were just the focused running. on, sorry, uh, athletics yeah. and running, you see? And that was their niche. And they built the whole niche around that and built the community around that. You look at Under Armour, it was American football. You look at Adidas, it was soccer. You look at Vans, it was skateboarding. Uh, Montclair skiing, right? It's been done with every sport in history apart from boxing. Wow, I'd never thought about it like that. I thought about Nike, but uh, yeah, Adidas was soccer. Yeah, you need to think, and I say soccer because we deal so much in America. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. used to saying soccer now. And Under Armour was, uh, what? Uh, American, American football. football. Yeah, it was. And Montclair uh, was skiing. I did, yeah, never thought yeah. about that. So there was yeah. there was no, because I, I, if I think of boxing, I think of a box raw, Lonsdale. I think of Lily White. Lily White, yeah, yeah Lily White as well. Lily White? Who the fuck are Lily White's? So they, so there was a massive Lily White store in Piccadilly. Yeah. I don't know if it's still there or not, but they used to sell like, loads going of boxing. Like yeah, really. they wow, used to sell okay. quite a lot of boxing apparel. But Lonsdale, yeah, I think, Lonsdale, I think of I Lonsdale, think of, yeah. Probably. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if they started with boxing. I think a, a big distinction between yes, there's been many brands that have come before us, you know, in, in the space like you know, Lonsdale, Everlast. But what they've, they, they, 
their success has been their demise, right? In the sense of they haven't kept up with innovation. You mm-hmm. look at the brands that have been here, you know, for a long time at Nike, they've been at the forefront of innovation. So they're always trying to like improve the um, improve the wearer's feel, you know, for it, with, with tech and with, you know, further developments and innovations. Um, those brands haven't, they've just of course, they, they've stayed there in the stone ages and they've mm-hmm. just sort of latched onto that legacy, which they once held. You know, I think with Boxtraw, a big thing for us is that all of our products are built with intent, you know, and that's actually, we, we serve natural needs. So when it comes to building a brand, first step is like find that niche that you're going to go after and really really try and serve them you know and add value to their life the idea of just creating a clothing brand i'm like what do you mean a clothing brand why do you just want to create a clothing brand like what need are you trying to serve for me i was trying to serve the need that there wasn't anything available within boxing and that's not me saying now that actually it's gonna be very hard to launch i, I think it is very hard to launch a brand now mm. you know i think there's so many brands that have come up now it's not that there's always gonna be new ideas of like niches that people can serve especially uh, with ai design now because now, literally, you can get print-on-demand yeah. T-shirts and hoodies and whatever. Mm-hmm. You can get AI graphic design and be like, make me an image of a Doberman in black and white with red eyes or something. Yes. And then you can be like, generate, and then just take that and put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. So now you're not even just competing with people who have gone to St. Martin's or something. Exactly. You're competing with literally anyone who can give a prompt to AI. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is why it's very key not to focus too much on the design at the start. Yeah. The key is to focus on the niche you're going to serve. Um, past that point then yeah obviously designs are imperative and you know in answer to your question about you know how I went about it obviously I had that boxing niche that I'm trying to go after and then I had a design background you know I was very artsy and graphicsy in school so um, yeah I just I picked up a pen and paper designed drew it out and figured out as went along working with the suppliers in China you know because I had that experience working at Alibaba Alibaba wasn't new to yeah. me but I got fired by about four four suppliers before we even launched so I thought it was going to take three months, by the way. Okay. Again, having dealt on Alibaba, I was like, shit's easy, man. Let's get the brand off the ground. Um, six months later, I still haven't got any products here because they're still being made or, you know, there's been products been sent I'm not happy with. Um, and my friend hit me. He said, like, so you're saying you're going to launch next month, but how are customers going to find you? He was like, I'm going to launch a website. And he's like, yeah, but Ben, how are they going to find that website? You're going to need an Instagram account or something. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, let me launch an Instagram account. Then a year and a half later, it actually launches. You know, so a year it, and a half later, it took me two years to launch. Wow, it took okay. me two years to launch because I was spending so long, like just trying to get the product right. Were you putting out any content on the Box Raw accounts or channels? Exactly. Or yeah, and I think that's a, that's a key, also, also a key part of building a brand is that I wasn't for two years. No one knew that we were a boxing brand. Um, people just knew it was boxing. You know, because I was speaking to the community. There was nothing to do with products. I was just using images that I found online, um, oh, really? like a okay. theme page. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I was speaking to the community. You know, I was saying things that only they would understand. You know, right. having been a boxer and competed, yeah. um, and I think that's why the community really sort of latched onto that. So at point of launch, you know, we had an audience for twenty thousand followers, which back then was like a decent amount mm. of yeah. followers to have. Um, and yeah, it was it, it was a lot of the, the best way to learn a brand, um, start the brand. I think definitely focus on that niche look at the product and see what you want to design, but you need to do loads of reading. You know, there's so much information out there, especially on Shopify blogs. You know, I haven't read a Shopify blog in, in years now, but that, that was fundamental to, you know, me actually getting off the ground and just understanding the industry because while I had a lot of experience in boxing and in business, I had no experience in e-com or anything mm, like that. Yeah. How would you say someone actually goes about finding a niche? Obviously you had boxing as something that you've had in your life since the age of 12, but how does someone, if they want to start a business, but not necessarily know which niche they want to serve, go about actually finding that specific niche where there is a gap in the market. I think they need to find the niche that they're already a part of. Okay. I think if you try and serve a niche which you have no interest in or know nothing about, it will get you'll get found out because that niche will quickly be like, okay, this person's just here for boxing, uh, just here for uh, business. Um, and I think that's what our market recognizes very quickly is yeah. that we're more than just an apparel company, you mm. know, and then we speak to the community more so than any other boxing brand out there. Um, so I say 
finding a niche that actually means something to you you know what niches or what groups are you in mm. um and make sure it means something to you because the thing is business is too hard for you to be doing something that actually doesn't excite you you know i can't tell you the amount of times that you know where i'm i'm, I'm having a shit day you know so that things aren't going well but as long as I've got that overall vision of where I'm trying to take it, it makes those days a lot easier. So if you're doing a business for the reasons of trying to make money and just do a clothing brand, you're not going to last. You're mm. not going to outlast anyone because the ones that are actually doing things and making a difference, they're passionate about what they're doing. Mm. You know, you can't force yourself into trying to be passionate about, you know, if I tried to do a cross brand, you know, I wouldn't last, I, would, I wouldn't last long at all. So yeah. you just, when times get hard, you're going to default to being lazy. You know, you're going to default to making excuses and playing the victim. That's, I think this whole problem with the whole, and I'm not like shitting on it, but the whole like drop shipping FBA kind of culture. Cause it's like, we've tried drop shipping too. And it's like this whole thing of like, start a business that you think will make you a lot of money. Yeah. You don't, you, you know, you're selling random crap from China that you have no, you know, attachment to or passion about. And then, you know, your, your first Facebook ad campaign doesn't convert. And then you're like, it's hard to motivate yourself oh, to, keep, to keep going. With yeah, it. to keep like uh, looking at the return on ad spend and be like, yeah. right, how do I adjust this dog toy? It's like, yeah, you know. Exactly. And I, I think that's a big, big problem at the moment is that everyone's trying to chase being the entrepreneur, mm. right? And there's it's, a big, yeah. the, the goal for everyone seems to be, let's do it as quickly as possible. It's like, why does it need to be quick? It's not meant to be quick in building a brand or you know trying to make money. Like find something. I mean, listen, it's not a bad thing. I think it's great that more people are being are getting into business. You know, I think there's a, there's a surge at the moment. People are just trying it, which is great. Um, but it depends on what level you're trying to play at. You know, I'm trying to play at this level. Yeah. If you're trying to play at that level of just you want to make some cash, and some people recognise that. You know, I've got friends that do drop shipping and they're cool with where they're at. You know, they're not trying to do the same sort of things I'm doing and have the same goals. Um, but if you've got the goal of really trying to make it and do something big of you know importance, meaning value, legacy, then that's not the right way to do it, in, in my view. You know, listen, I'm not, I'm no, not the finished article. You know, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm learning day by day. Mm. Um, just my observation. So you got about two years of kind of doing boxing-related content while you're waiting for the products to get made. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two years later, you've got the products. What products did you start with first of all? Trackies. So, yeah, I had um, two tracksuits, two um, in two colors. Yeah. Tracksuit in two colors, hoodie in two colors, two t-shirts in four colors, and that was it. And that whole process, I mean, were you storing it in your house or? Uh, in the, in my garage. In your garage, That's okay. garage, yeah. And mm-hmm. how? So in one of the garages where we were um, selling from. Got you, okay. And so how much did that two-year process of all the different iterations and, and then also to get the actual first batch of the finished ones, how much did that cost? <sighs> because I made, made a lot of mistakes with the gear and I was quite frivolous and because I had a lot of, you know, cash reserves with the car sales business, I wasn't as smart as I should have been. I think for the actual ones that launched, maybe, I don't know, 15... Less than that, fifteen thousand. Less than fifteen thousand. How did you um, know that when you were ready, when you were about to buy the stock? Because we've had a few people on here already who have made the mistake of putting all their money in stock without knowing that they're actually able to sell it. So how did you avoid that problem? I didn't avoid the problem. The problem was there. Right. I didn't. I didn't have a clue. You know, I didn't right, have yeah, a clue. I think sometimes if you try and like, there's a few kids that are mental and they try and like foresee every single problem beforehand and be like, how do I know this is going to sell? Like, you, you're not going to know. You really need to trust your instinct and trust your gut. You know, I was fortunate that actually because great example here right is that i thought all the gear that i launched with people were going to train in and actually what happened is i started to give it to different boxes they were like ben this is too nice to train in like why am i going to train in this and they just started wearing it outside of the gym i'm like no man come on i'm sending it to you wear it in the gym so i can get the content um and that was just a learning it was like, actually okay this is more lifestyle focused maybe we need to have something a bit more gritty not as high quality um but i think that naiveness is really that's you learn that way mm. you know as long as you're introspective and you can look backwards and journal and you know do whatever rituals you need to do to be able to look back and you know analyze has it worked or has it not you're right to just trust your gut and then make the mistakes along the way now that's easier said than done when you've got 
another business on the side supporting it. Yeah, so I would say it's very yeah. important. You can't just jump in and say, right, I've got 10,000 pounds in the bank. I'm ready to start the business. Have something at the same time that's that's running. You know, I was fortunate, my brother, he was running the car sales business. So all the money we made from that was going into Box Raw. We didn't actually close the car sales business until about a year and a half in, or two years in. You know, Box Raw wasn't making any money. I wasn't taking any salary from it. Um, Isaac was basically funding funding me, funding Box Raw, you know, on the hope that soon we were able to close close shop and just focus on Box Raw. Um, so we had two, you know, streams, which, you know, in this instance, maybe dropshipping could work for people if they yeah. want to start their own brand. Um, but have something that can also keep you occupied there. Would you Would you recommend someone does this alongside a job if they don't have an existing yeah, business? Yeah, 100%. Exactly. And just put the fucking work in, you know. So people all the time are saying, oh, I, I don't have the time to do the business. I because I'm working here, I'm like, yeah, you do. It's yeah, 24 yeah, hours yeah. in a day, like, yeah. and especially in your 20s. Like, listen, there's so much out there right now about you know, the importance of sleep, and I get it, sleep is important. But I can tell you right now, if I wasn't working 20, 21 hour days when I was building Box Raw, it would never, I would never have got off the ground. Two years would have taken me five years to get off the ground. Yeah, I think there's a, I think I was talking to this with, uh, with him the other day about this, but I think like there is something to be said for a lack of balance. I was speaking to an entrepreneur the other day and he's like, far more successful than us and he was saying like when you get to this a certain level a lot of these guys are not balanced they're very over indexed on work because that's what it takes to play at that level especially you know and it's, they're not always like that at some point they might over index more in their yes. family life or their kids or whatever but when they're in that stage where they focus on their business there's no like well you know entrepreneur but still still balanced you know done by six it's like you just you'll just get smoked by the guy who's doing exactly like, nine or whatever um this might sound like an obvious question but uh, i'm really curious to know uh how do you go about getting a manufacturer? Because I feel like I I would have no idea if I had an idea for a product. I have no idea, how, what do I Google it? What do I Google? How do I know who to look for, what to trust? I have no experience in that. And I think a lot of people would be keen to know that. Yeah, so I mean, Alibaba is the first one, right? The, the biggest, some of the biggest companies in the world still use Alibaba. Um, when you're searching, you can search for what product you're specifically looking for. What you're gonna find there is like 20,000 hits of suppliers in China that are offering the same sort of products. I then recommend filtering by um, gold supplier. So making sure they've got the um, accreditation from Alibaba. Check how long they've been in business. You can also filter how long they've been doing gold supplier Alibaba terms. So typically you want seven years or above. Um, then you want to reach out to about 30 of them, with the same sort of copy and paste message. Um, when you're starting out, it's a big thing that I did. This is, this is funny, actually. I had loads of alias accounts when I launched BoxRaw. So I wasn't reaching out as the founder. I was reaching out from like the production department or production director yeah. to try and give the appeal that or the image that BoxRaw was bigger than it was. Because the reality is, is that... that the suppliers you speak to to start with, they just care about the money, you know? And if you're, if you're in a position where you can only buy 100 units, they're not really gonna give you the same respect and time and you know energy that they'll give someone who's about to buy 1,000 units yeah. or an existing brand. I had, a, I had a coming soon page on boxwell.com. So when the suppliers checked out, we would just say coming soon. And what I tell them was that our, our website's being um, redone, but we're actually already the biggest company selling boxing equipment. Um, and that in itself then allowed me to create relationships with these different suppliers. So you send your blanket message, have key terms in there things like you know what's your moq you know write yeah. the word moq you know ask the shipping terms you Which know for anyone listening is minimum order quantity yeah and then shipping terms is it fob is it x works and you can google what, what, what does that mean so though? fob is i don't even fucking know anymore like it's fixed on board costs right. or x works you basically pay from the point of the port sending it or you pay from the point of the factory sending it so right. increase in shipping costs and so on and responsibility of who owns the product but um ask as many questions like that um, ask them to ask to see their portfolio. Really take an interest in what they do. Um, you're going to get a message back, and from 30 messages, maybe 25 of them are going to respond. 
um, from that 25. You don't want to engage with them. And, you know, you need to get WeChat if you're dealing in the Far East. Yeah. That's how they communicate. Um, and what, what you're looking for in the early steps is you're looking for someone that's actually relationship orientated, someone that actually understands what you're doing, which is why it's very important to be able to sell the vision to them. And that's what I was able to do. You know, I sold the vision to the suppliers and got them bought into what I was doing, explained the market opportunity, how there was no boxing brands out there. And we were going to take over and look, we're going to be like the, the Jordan of boxing. Is this like messaging over WeChat you're saying this? Yeah, messaging over WeChat. Or it can be through Alibaba, through the um, chat feature. Yeah, ch- chat feature. Is there a language barrier? Um, no, there's not. I think the, the sales are so, especially not on text because also they can translate things. Right. Now, you, you, there'll be the occasional word which won't you know come through. The key thing is just don't speak in slang. Is there a thing of like for them, they must get so many people messaging them or maybe they don't, I don't know. But like when someone's like, we're going to be the next Apple or the next Jordan, they're like, yeah, of course you are, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, naturally, but I think maybe that naivety, I mean, it, it worked for me. Right? Yeah, exactly. It worked for me. But the thing is, yeah. as well, the suppliers can tell passion. They can tell someone who's actually trying to make, get their business off the ground and it's going to make a difference. And they'll see that from the designs you give give over to them, right? You need to make sure your tech pack looks correct or looks decent. Um, you have a strong website. And even if you haven't launched a website, make sure the coming soon page looks cool. Mm. You know, make sure there's an Instagram account there which is showing cool activity. Because also with the, with the manufacturers themselves, if your product doesn't exist yet, how do you know? What, like what when you search for the manufacturers and you're filtering it they obviously let's say your product's like a thingamajig and it's like a really squiggly weird plastic shape or something yeah on their website they won't have that because that doesn't exist that's why you're making it how do you know like what are they advertising or displaying that makes you think they're a manufacturer that could make what you want if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. so you're gonna it's a really good question um first of all you're not gonna know until you ask them um, you want to find products that are similar. So if it is a weird octopus made out of plastic, you want to look for other plastic objects, you know, so I don't know that like for like, um, right. and search for that. And then a lot of these companies will be able to open molds and create any, anything. Yeah, but you want to, in that case, you want to ask, you want to ask those questions from the get go. So the key thing, first of all, is to go to about 30 suppliers. Yeah. 25 and they're going to respond. From that, what you want to do is judge them based on how they're treating you in the conversation, how quickly they respond, the questions that they're asking you, the information they're providing you. From there, you're going to whittle it down to about five. And then you can get into sampling stage. From sampling stage, the ideal is to not pay for samples. Now, a lot of them are going to try and charge you for samples, but again, this is why it's very key to have that relationship with the sales rep you're speaking to and not be transactional. I made the mistake in the first four years um, and I didn't learn this in Alibaba at the age of 15 because I was buying things that I already made. I wasn't customizing anything. Sure. Um, but I made the mistake when with, with the suppliers treating them the same way, thinking that I was so much better than them. They worked in China and I can speak to them like shit. You know? And I look back at it now, it's horrible. And I don't blame them for firing me. Um, but you speak to them, speak to them nice. You know, get, get to know them. They're, they're going to be your friend. Like we still work with suppliers we work with from the get go. You know, from yeah. two years before when we launched, um, and we got great relationships with them. You know, and it was. If you're a good judge of character, you'll figure out from the messages mm. um, if they're nice or if they're not. Mm. You know, are they asking how you are? And it's small things like that. You know, be nice and you'll get a nice person back. From there, you whittle it down. You want to try and get the sample for free. Um, and the only way to do that is to really sell them on the vision and explain, you know, we're going to take the sample for you off the bulk order. They might ask you to pay for shipping, in which case, pay for fucking shipping. So do you have to make a bulk order before you get samples? No, 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 no. You can just get the samples from the get-go. But you want, this is another thing with the message, okay? When you're asking for the pricing, don't ask for just 100 pieces if you're only buying 100 pieces. Ask for the price of 250, 500, 1,000, 2,000. Right. And then at a later point, be like, okay, I want to test the quality first. This is the first one, the next one will be higher, okay? And then you can just build it that way. Because otherwise, yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're not yeah, going to get yeah. a quality sample that comes back. If someone did want to make some some sort of, I mean, I guess in this case, you could use apparel, apparel company as an example. How much do you think they would need capital-wise? Um, capital-wise, now even less. Yeah. Now even less. It depends what type of apparel you're trying to do, right? Because for me, everything we launched with was custom developed. So we had to buy rolls and rolls of fabric to be able to get that fabric made 
right, which was okay. unique to us. And are you basically, would you buy the fabric and then send that fabric to China to the supplier? No, so you'd, you you can do that. So you can find fabric suppliers in China and then get it sent, but it's long. Like yeah. the, the reality is if you go to the right supplier, there's so many fabric markets out there, they can find it. Um, same with trims, um, but which is why it's important to find someone that's really hungry. Mm. You know, ideally you want someone that hasn't been in the job too long. They're trying to make a name for themselves, trying to, you know, because they're going to earn off your commission, right? So, which is why it's so important to sell them on the vision, because then they're going to put the work in to find you the nice trims to really speak to the fabric markets to say, look, actually, can we customize this? And it was the same for us. Like, I didn't pay the MOQ price of fabric rolls because they betted on this working. Um, I spent time speaking to them, and that was really important. Mm. relationships are so key in the early days you know mm. and if you are trying to do something that's going to make a difference you can't be transactional about it you know you need to understand and i learned this from the car sales business yeah. you know that relationships are key so when you've got your minimum order quantity um you have them in your garage you launch the website mm-hmm. how long does it take to sell them and how are you getting your sales is it just through pictures of it and sending it to friends and because that's yes. the other bit that so people, s- think, sales really was about. so slow i remember i had this like grand vision that because Shopify, when you make a sale, goes ka-ching. Yeah. Right, and you can do test orders before. And I had this grand vision of going to launch, and I'm going to hear ka-ching, ka-ching. I'm like, yeah, baby, we made it. Oh, <laughs> everyone, everyone has that. Oh, we, the we've dream. even had that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've even had that. And that, in my head, that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, we launched, and then we launched at like nine, 8, 9 o'clock in the, in the morning. And then 6 p.m., the first sale comes through. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, then I go on the order, and it's someone I know. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrible man it was it it, it was horrible it was horrible you know there there was so much hype from friends and family being like oh it's great because the website looks sick you know I spent so long designing the website would you use it on Shopify Shopify yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah shop from the get-go and that that was another thing right i was trying to save costs so you know while i had cash for the car sales business i'm still tight you know i'm still trying to save as much as i can so. paid theme or free theme um I, so i paid for the theme but i didn't pay for the i uh, basically what i kept doing which is a little bit naughty of me i kept changing i kept creating a new trial um with shopify with different email addresses okay yeah. um just so i could use the free features of like building it and then you transfer the i transfer it over yeah <laughs> that's quite smart i mean it took a year and a half for it to be self-sustaining right what so, do you mean by self-sustaining so, so we did i think we did i don't remember now 11,000 in the first year. Okay. Um, the year after that, we did about 180. Is that orders wow. or products? Sales and cash. How do you go from, you've got one sale from your mate to then even 11,000, which is an achievement in itself? Um, I think it's that constant grind, right? We, 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 did, we did well from the get-go of having like the elite boxes wear our brand. Um, okay. I was, Jordan, Jordan was actually asking about this on the way down. Is that how picture of Dimitri Bivol wearing boxer he's a world champion the guy who beat Canelo last year okay and he's like oh how do you actually get all these guys so it started from do you guys remember this when Snapchat was a big thing and people had these Snapchat QR codes that they used to post on like Instagram okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah, people yeah, yeah. would like take a photo of it and then it's before QR codes were yeah, a thing, yeah, right? yeah. that's how like Snapchat grew um, and during that two years I again I had all these fake email accounts and I reach out to different boxers or their managers and be like, okay, we're Boxraw. And they can see the Instagram account was popping, you know. And in the grand scheme of boxing, Boxraw was a big Instagram account, right? We had more followers than some, you know, champion boxers because uh, they just weren't that focused on mm. it. So I'd reach out and say, look, we've got the Snapchat account. Would you, would, you, would you like to do a Snapchat takeover? We've got 100,000 people on the Snapchat. And obviously, we didn't have fucking anything on the Snapchat, but I knew they wouldn't know. Um, and then one boxer, Andre Berto, agreed to take it over the Snapchat. Who was a world champion boxer, fought Floyd Mayweather, and he took it over. And I have like I'd have ten, you know, alias Snapchat accounts. So I'd be logging in, logging out, sending messages, logging out, sending another message from another account. Um, so they're thinking, oh shit, this is, this community's popping. And he did it, and we had obviously the content from that. And then obviously he posted on his Instagram to say, look, follow me on Snapchat. Yeah. And then we went to the next boxer. Then it was Deontay Wilder. 
Wow. Um, Dante Wilder. So he, he took over the Snapchat. He posted on his Instagram saying he's taking over Box for Snapchat. Damn. And then I had this archive within a couple of months of like two world champion boxers wearing it. And I just went boxer to boxer to be like, take over our Snapchat. We've got 70 followers. And we still hadn't got big followers on there at that yeah. point. And I'm You're still, still logging in and out. I'm still logging events. in and out trying to build this community. And then the Olympians all took over at Rio. Um, so went to the Team GB, went to Team USA. They would take over. Um, so by the time of launch, the the whole boxing community knew Boxwell because of these little Snapchat um, screenshots that okay. people, they would post on their Instagram saying, hey, follow Boxwell TV. I'm taking over the Snapchat day in the life. Um, and yeah, so we, we'd already built some notoriety and I built the contacts within boxing at that point. Mm. People didn't know. And I was so quiet about it, about what Boxwell was. They just saw an Instagram account and I was private because it weren't dealing with me. I never told them that I was the founder or CEO. I just said I'd work for the company or, you know, I, yeah. one day I'd be Lorenzo, who was the shipping director, or one day I'd be the brand director doing this. And um, so they just thought, oh, Boxwell was fucking big and they're doing yeah, something yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, so at Point of Launch, I had all these contacts. I was like, right, we're a clothing company now, guys. Let me send you some products. Um, and because I always, already built that repertoire with them and had built the community around the niche, speaking to boxers. One, they knew, they, one, they knew that I knew boxing. Two, they loved the product. And then three, I'd already kind of built a relationship up at that point. Um, and then I slowly came clean with the boxes. You know, I was like, okay, right, I have to tell you, actually, I'm a one-man band operating from my mom's house um, in my bedroom. And they were like, oh, no way. We thought you were this. Like, Who the fuck is Lorenzo? I'm like, there's no Lorenzo. It's just me. There is no Lorenzo. <laughs> and I always used to pick the exotic names. So they think it was really international. Carlos. Yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it worked, you know. And I, listen, I don't recommend it now necessarily, yeah. but, you know, you got to hustle, man. You, you have to hustle. Yeah, you have yeah, to find yeah. a way. You know, you, you have to you find got, a way yeah. to build a community. And perception is everything, especially when you get it off the ground. Mm. You know, now we don't. Now our perception is our perception is our reality. You know, we we don't fudge anything. We don't speak to people from fake email accounts. Um, but to get things off the ground, you have to do that sort of stuff. So is that were you basically just reiterating that then to get from eleven to one eighty? Exactly. Exactly. So the more boxes I send it to them, and then they'd be yeah. featured on it. Um, and while they're doing it, are they wearing the product? Yeah. Then they're wearing the product. Yeah. Then they're starting to wear the product now. Um, and then that Snapchat story started to fizzle off. I think Instagram stories came out slowly after. Yeah. In the background, I'm thinking I came up with stories way long, way before this. You know, with yeah, yeah. my previous app. Um, and yeah, it's just like I suppose snowballs the wrong works. I still don't feel like we've ever snowballed. Um, but yeah, we just try to stay true to the market. You know serving them speaking to them do you have any uh, do you have any thoughts on marketing hmm especially what, what in this type of marketing well i guess i'd you know my inclination is to go towards social media because obviously that's where like you know content is king and all that but i also feel like because it's so saturated with tiktok and instagram and everyone understands kind of copywriting more than they used to everyone understands like narratives and but as you said it's so saturated i mean i I don't use Instagram that much, but when I do, I get all sorts of ads for clothing companies and stuff. And some of them look dope, and some of them I'm like, you've just taken a, an edgy phrase, put it in French or something, and now yeah. it's like a fucking hype brand or yeah, something. Exactly. There's a million yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I don't understand necessarily how brands could stand out. Is, you, is your content mostly product based, or is it more like inspo based? Or? So we have we have content pillars, you know, which, which center around education, education of boxing, obviously products, trying to show the products. Um, 
throwbacks in terms of like old history boxing yeah. um, but the key all, it all comes back to value add you know how can you add value to community you can add value to community by educating them yeah um and yeah if you are a fashion brand then yeah you just need to show the product in the fashionable way right um but my thing is all about the niche you know and the community you're trying to serve so the content if you rather than thinking about the end result of the content think about the intent behind the content which is how do you serve how do you grow that community you're going to do that for education and what if you're trying to educate that audience but you're not necessarily getting the traction that you would hope for once you're putting that content out i challenge whether or not you're actually educating them then okay versus just saying something which is so generic which doesn't actually they don't learn from you know we're going through this at the moment we used to be very very heavily heavy on education and talking so much so much about boxing history but it almost went the other way whereby we looked like a boxing page what we were before we launched so we had to try and rein things back into like, right, let's focus on the product now because our brand needs to be about trying to make sales and so on. Um, but it almost went too far the other way. So literally as of yesterday, we were deciding actually, guys, you know, I was, I was at boxing last night, had a half an hour conversation about boxing and um, we stepped away thinking, fuck, yeah, I can go in deep about boxing now. Like, why the fuck are we not talking about this? This is interesting because people would stop in the gym and they'd, they'd join into the conversation because they yeah. found it interesting. And we're now going to go, not the complete other way we were before, but just a bit more premise so around, yeah, the education factor. So listen, we haven't nailed it. I haven't nailed it. Mm. I'm not the best marketeer. Um, I know boxing. I know how to talk about boxing. That's mm. what I'm good at. You know, I'm not the best at doing content for the purpose of trying to sell products. Yeah. Um, if you had to give, if you had to give advice to someone on some of the biggest mistakes that you've made to get Boxwater to where it is today, whether it's one piece of advice, whether it's five pieces of pieces of advice, what would you what would you say to anybody listening? Number one is know your finances. Like really, my my whole mentality with Boxroll from from the get-go was I'm not going to worry too much about the cost because all I care about is selling you know but yeah that that can get you in a lot of trouble you know later on down the line it has got me into trouble numerous numerous times because I haven't been watching the numbers mm. we've just been spending and not spending in a frivolous way you know personally it's just like within the business investing in certain things and actually doesn't make sense um, use data um, to help you inform buys don't use data too much to the extent whereby it takes away your creativity and initiative and gut mm-hmm. feeling on things. Um, again, uh, we bought so much product which we just didn't need, you know, because intuition said to me, oh, yeah, we can sell 2,000 of them, you know, and it just makes an absolutely zero sense. And then you're stuck on the gear for, we've had product that we've been, we've been sitting on in clearance, you know, it's gone through four Black Fridays, you know, it's like, what's the worst possible product yeah. buy, you mm-hmm. know? And it gets to a point where you need to be um, looking at the numbers. And so many people gave me advice, in the, you know, from the start about, you need to get a merchandiser in that can actually look at the daily sales run rates of products so you can inform buyers. And I wish I had done, I wish I had done that, you know, three years sooner than that because it would have saved us so much money. Yeah. Um, obviously, we mentioned how Nike, you know, started off as athletics, you know, well, running really. And then with the, you know, with the Jordan situation, they went into basketball shoes and now Nike does just general athletic wear and they also do, you know, casual wear. Um, is there any temptation for you to almost do, I don't know, MMA gear or something, you know? There has, like? Yeah, there has been in the past. And actually for a few years, maybe as of two years ago, I was, you know, we were seeding out a lot. We, we have a lot of UFC champions wear the products, you know, they're fans of the brand, they're friends of the brand. Um, but it's not a focus point past the point of like just, you know, having the relationship there. If they need gear when they're in camp, we send it to them. Mm. Um, but focus is a big thing. You know, I think after two years or three years, maybe it was even four years, you know, we, we started to win a lot of awards and, you know, our sales growth was recognized by the Sunday Times and stuff. We're like, okay, now the time is to expand and become this big, gigantic company. It's actually, we've still got so much more work to do. So there's zero temptation now. Like, I'm very focused, you know, because I have split time and energy across trying to go into MMA. And it just doesn't make sense. I don't know MMA, you know. Yeah. I remember having a call with Cody Garbrandt to try and get some advice about... Um, 
gloves for MMA, you know, and he's talking to me. I'm like, he's giving me that information. I'm like, no, I need to be focusing just on the boxing glove. Why am I trying to do two gloves at the same time? Mm. You know, it sounds great because I've been able to have a phone call with this MMA champion and so on. But um, no, I think my maturity now forces me to focus, you know, really focus on what matters and makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. And what is the end goal with Box Raw? Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's an end goal with Box Raw. I think having been in business for such a long time, you know, not, not just with Box Raw, coming to... I'm going to get really philosophical now, right? Go for it. The, the idea of dying scares me, right? I know that we have one life, you know, so my goal is to try and live the life to, to my full extent. But the idea of keeping something that's going to ling- live on past my existence, that excites the hell out of me. Like, the a idea... Legacy. Of, yeah, the idea of being able to create a legacy brand, you know, and something can continue to evolve and bring more people into the sport of boxing. Like, the goal is to be the reason why the world got into boxing, right? That's not something that I'm going to achieve in my lifetime. That's something that I could do, though, for creating a company that has the right tech, the right apparel, the right equipment that could continue to bring more people into the sport and shift that narrative. That's the goal. Um, usually when people say, what's the goal? You know, is there an exit strategy? I, I want to take the company public, you know, just naturally for the sake of, you know, for me to be able to bring the world into boxing, you need a certain level of size where I have the company to be able to do that. Mm. Um, but there's no financial goals. You know, I've been not rich, rich, but I've, been, I've had cash at a young age, you know, and it it doesn't make you happy you know it didn't make me happy it was very empty i remember just buying the next car the next you know the next watch i remember you know i had a porsche 22 you know range rover bentley 25 and it's like i'm so excited about getting them i get them and i'm like ah oh, what do i do now let me just show off to a friend it's meaningless you know mm. the idea of to create value and really trying to change the world and like, add value to the world that excites me man you know mm. of course you've got financial goals you know of course yeah, there's, yeah. there's certain numbers you want yeah. to hit you know by certain times and you know but i'm, I'm trying to turn into a billion dollar company i will turn into a billion dollar company you know oh, that's yeah. that, that's what i'm doing this for there's no there's no ex- exit strategy i'm mature enough now to know that i'm i've hit the jackpot in the sense of i am getting to work on a company that i fucking love you know mm. that really that really excites me um that's been able to invoke you know emotion within the community which previously wasn't you know served mm. um so i wouldn't change that for anything you know unless listen if suddenly for next year i'm like okay i don't like boxing anymore i like hockey then yeah of course i'll change it but mm. no my um i can't see myself doing anything differently you know the goal is to let this company live on dude this has been uh it's been a really, really well-rounded yeah. conversation. Very value-packed as well. Yes, yeah. dude, as. super. If this was a meal, it would be like high protein. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> super meal. It would be high protein. Yeah, yeah super, super like yeah. value-dense interview. You know what I mean? Our producer's cracking up, but it's so true, bro. Uh, especially like that, like the Ali stuff about like how to find suppliers, how to mesh them. I mean, yeah, dude, that's really useful. So that's valuable. Really useful. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, we we wrap awesome. up with the same question every single time, uh, which is obviously, as we've said, we're about the practice adding practical value um so for anyone that might be looking to start a business if there was one piece of practical actionable advice that you could give so not like you know work hard and believe in yourself but something practical on any subject um what would it be um hmm. there's a book and a youtube video ted talk you guys might know it start with why the golden yeah, simon sinek yeah simon yeah. sinek i'd say start with that i say start with that i say don't chase don't chase the cash to start with chase actually what you're passionate about um as I said before, they business gets too hard for you to be just be doing things for the money. Um, so first, figure out the niche you want to serve, or if it's not even a niche you want to serve, figure out actually what makes you happy, um, and try and find somewhere or something in that which is gonna which is gonna make you cash. No, it's not. Listen, there's a big. I don't agree with do what makes you happy, and you'll find success in you. You won't right yeah. because actually, I don't get happy by having to do you know look over accounts and you know shit like that um but i found like a narrative which was boxing that i was able to try and figure out business within that try and find that first you know um because i think businesses that are going to survive now especially now more than ever in a very turbulent time it's gonna be the ones that actually stand for something and mm. mean something 
amazing dude thank you so much man um thank that's you. your camera over there where can people find you i'm on instagram ben.amana i'm on youtube as of three weeks ago ben. yeah ben's a youtuber now I'm a YouTuber he started now. a vlog yeah yeah um i saw him on, I'm on linkedin as well ben.amana i think it's all the same amazing yeah. and, awesome. and box raw and box raw of course yeah uh, b-o-r-x-a-w <laughs> boxraw.com amazing ben thank you so much man thank really you appreciate guys. the time really good. Awesome thank you. appreciate the chat thank appreciate you. you coming on yeah, thank you